This is Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Primal Screen is about movies, from the ones on the big screen to the ones you stream. Hope you enjoy the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. It's Primal Screen, Triple R's uh, show all about movies, from the ones on the big screen to the ones on uh, that you stream. Uh, it is still Radiothon, um, so do remember to, um, you know, get on there, get on rrr.org.au and subscribe. My name is Flick Ford and I am your host and joining me in the studio is film reviewer and bassist for Queen Kong and the Homo Sapiens, Cerise Howard. Hey, Cerise. Hi, Flick. <laughs> nice to be back. Yes, so good to have you back. I feel like it's been a while. You, you joined us for our Myth special a few weeks ago, so you can listen back online to uh, if you missed that. Um, we've also got documentarian and editor Grace Moore. Hey, Grace. Hey, how are you going? Very well. Uh, I'm so glad we've got you joining us. Um, Grace is the co-founder and co-director of Old House, which um, well, maybe, um, Grace, you can tell us a little bit about what you do. Yeah, so I'm a director and editor and uh, this year I started a creative agency and studio with a few friends. So we're called Old House and we're based in Fitzroy. Uh, We're very closed at the moment because (laughs) of lockdown, but uh, I'm sure we'll be back with a bang very soon. Yeah, I hope so. And you had some big news yesterday. Can you tell us a little bit about your, um, your film Willow and Claude? Yeah, so this is a film directed by my friend Emma Harkinson called Willow and Claude and it was uh, nominated for the Best Documentary Award at the London Fashion Film Festival. So we found that out last night. So that was a nice little uh, lockdown surprise. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so uh, very exciting news and definitely a very good pick-me-up for right now. Oh, absolutely. We all kind of need that. We also... um, our, my co-host, Paul Anthony Nelson, he and his partner, Perry Cummings, um, their short film, uh, Interference, which is on Vimeo, um, also won some awards recently. So shout out to Paul and Perry for that. Um, do check it out. And I understand that uh, Willow and Claude, you can view it on uh, the Collective Fashion Justice website. Is that right? Yeah, so the director, Emma, she has uh, she started Collective Fashion Justice, which is basically about creating total ethics fashion um, in the industry. And so we're like, I was just trying to help her on her journey. And yeah, you can watch the film on collectivefashionjustice.org. Awesome. Um, and I'm so glad uh, one of the things that, um, you know, we often we get to talk about films, but it's so rare that we actually get a documentarian on to, to kind of have an insight that, um, you know, into kind of how um, different documentary styles, but also different approaches. So um, thank you, Grace. Um, also, I feel like, Cerise, we often don't talk about your um, musical chops. So This is a film show. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that would seem self-indulgent above and beyond. <laughs> the listeners who are unfamiliar with your band, Queen Kong and the Homo Sapiens, can you tell us a bit about what kind of vibe you have? It's a, um, a high concept, sort of queer theatrical sci-fi space opera rock and roll thing that has a, a couple of different 
forms. It sometimes does theatrical seasons when it can and when we're not locked down. And, and other times it's uh, a dirty rock and roll beast in your, your classic um, sticky carpet venues about the place. Um, and uh, hopefully we'll resume both sorts of operations before too terribly long. And it's comedic as well. And, and I, am, I am but the, a humble bass player. It is not my project. It's especially the brainchild of Sarah Ward and Beck Matthews. But we have, um, you know, look, this thing's been going for, for years and fits and starts. And we're in the, the fits period again at the moment. Looking forward to yeah. some more starts again soon. Yeah, it is interesting how across both film and music there's been a lot of um, – I feel like a lot of friends of mine who are filmmakers are either in um, editing stage or writing stage, but it is hard to um, to continue to kind of continue with these creative ventures. Um, and I know, Grace, when I was talking about wanting to get you on the show, we were, we were kind of spitballing a few ideas for um, different documentaries and a music docker that we're not going to talk about tonight, but I do want to give a shout-out to, and I know this is a favourite of yours as well, was Karen. Dalton's In My Own Time, which is um, directed, um, sorry, it was um, all about this American folks blues singer, guitarist um, and banjo player. And it played at MIF recently. Did you, is that where you saw it as well, Grace? Yes, we screened it um, on MIF Play and I just loved it. I thought it yeah. was such a beautiful piece because I had never actually heard her music before. Oh, really? Yeah, I was ah. I was new to it and I really love like folk and country music. So I was like, who is this person? Why don't I know about them? And have been obsessed ever since, which I think is like the hallmark of a good music documentary. Absolutely. If you're not like flogging the albums afterwards, you didn't do its job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's so interesting because I I actually deli- I saw it um, in the schedule for Myth Play and got very excited because I love Karen, Karen Dalton. Um, so, yeah, I kind of – it's interesting when documentaries can have that impact of, like, luring new listeners in. Have you, did you catch it, Cerise? No, alas, I didn't. Oh, but um, did I didn't you? know much about her either and then I started hearing some tracks of her mm. on Triple R. Yeah, no, they were probably inspired by the fact there was a doco in the myth selection, and then I it um, I think it was oversubscribed by the time I wanted to watch it. Yeah. It was yeah sold out. Yeah, and it's been difficult to get it on on streaming services as well. That's part of the reason why we weren't going to include it for tonight. But do check it out. I think it's one, one well worth checking out. Um, also, this is our second music doco uh, special because we had another one last year. So if you want to uh, listen back, you can you can go to rrr.org.au um, if you want some more recommendations. Um, all right. Well, I think we should get started with our first film. <laughs> Maminka, kterou jsem znala, Džína v tričku, jak vždycky letní z práce, tak najednou v těch klipech byla prostě nádherná. So this is your pick, Cerise. Can you, uh, firstly, maybe, should we introduce listeners to uh, the subject of this documentary? We certainly should. It's um, a singer named of Marta Kubišova, and uh, she is a, a Czech singer who came to prominence uh, when her native country was Czechoslovakia in the 60s. And the film in question is The Magic Voice of a Rebel. And it's a, a documentary portrait of her um, uh, and and the country, uh, or countries, you could say, really, that served as um, a, a backdrop to her stellar rise and then t- 
terribly sad 20 years of uh, inactivity, at least in the musical sphere, but not in the activist sphere, mm. um, whilst effectively silenced by a regime that was hostile to mm. Western forms of music and to, um, and to women who speak their own mind and, um, and, uh, and speak their own sexual sort of truth as well, like mm. just dare to be um, a magnificent human being um, with, well, interesting, as far as that regime is concerned, interesting associations, um, interesting company she kept. Um, there's, uh, there's probably quite a bit in this documentary that might be a little hard for people who are not super familiar with Czechoslovak history to latch onto, like some of the talking heads wouldn't have that instant recognition to, mm. I think, some viewers possibly each of the two of you as well, because I'm very steeped in mm. that culture. I'm not of it, but I have been long fascinated with, with Czech and Slovak culture. And I, Flick, I know you know that I, I ran a <laughs> Czech and Slovak film festival here for some years. Yes. Um, and that was our closing night film some years back because I thought she's such an inspirational figure. Um, she's and, an amazing subject. I yeah. was similar to what Grace was saying about being introduced to Karen Dalton through the documentary. I was not familiar with this artist, and I honestly am so blown away by her. Like such a fascinating subject. And is this the first documentary on her? Um, it's the it's the first pro- feature length documentary that I'm aware of that especially looks back mm. at um, you know with the perspective of about fifty years to look back on. Um, so just as a, a pocket uh, account of, of her, her rise, in the mid-60s, she, well, after having a difficult time trying to find work or keep work because of her parents' activities, mm. which would seem pretty innocuous to us, but were enough to have her denied uh, tertiary education and denied the sort of jobs she was really interested in. She somehow managed to get into the theatre and by degrees... Uh, um, you know, forged this extraordinary pop career partly because she managed to latch on to the, the peculiarities of English rock and roll phrasing, mm. something that's quite at odds with Slavic languages generally. You know, and mm. she managed to to find a way to to bring that phrasing and and do it justice. And she was just gifted with this extraordinary voice, and um, she became a superstar. And and then there was this you know this golden period, 1968, at the early on, the Prague Spring, it was known as um, increasing democratic reforms in this socialist state, which were then extremely cruelly stifled, um, to put it blunt, uh, mildly, <laughs> later that year when the Warsaw Pact troops occupied uh, the country and um, you know, Czechoslovakia had to endure 21 years of really quite harsh totalitarian rule dressed up under this extremely sinisterly innocuous name of normalization. Oh, I had to look yeah. that up. I wasn't I I as you were saying before that some listeners may not be aware of Czechoslovakian history when they're watching um Somanova's film The Magic Voice of a Rebel and I I'm one of those mm. listeners. I I was not familiar with it and the very phrasing normalization is haunting. <laughs> it's truly Orwellian, mm, isn't it? It um, really is. Yeah. Yeah, and um, and then so when this peaceful revolution finally overthrew that regime in 1989, she was one of the the most visible uh, people attached to that. Uh, she'd been out of the public eye for many many years, 
Um, she had been a public signatory in 1977 to, uh, to a human rights um, manifesto that was also attached to rock and roll, and this might have been another reference that's a bit obscure in the film to, to many people, but the plastic people of the universe were this bunch of freaky, long-haired chaps who are making really experimental music in a very underground, illegal way. This is in the late 80s? Uh, 70s. 70s, yeah, oh, yeah. Right. And, um, yeah. And this became a, a huge cause uh, for the activist underground led by Václav Havel, um, who would later become the president in 1989, but not, um, not without periods in jail, in fact, mm. a few years uh, the stakes were very high. Mm. Stakes are so much higher than for, um, let's say, people here who might wish to, you know, give a stick up a, a, a middle finger at, at the at the West, um, you know, from within the West. You know, mm. we're, we're used to bad behaviour. We expect it of our rock and rollers, but the stakes aren't really very high. You mm. know, and the Rolling Stones, let's say, contemporaries of of um, of Martin Kubishev's rise, parallel rise in in the East. You know, misbehaved and 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 you know, lock up your daughters. The stones are coming to you know, whatever. There's not really a lot at stake for them. Yeah. You know, they can't even get drug busted and jailed for long. You know, it's just and I mean, Keith Richards is invincible. Nothing about the the rock in the West makes sense, but in the East, Eastern Europe, it there was a lot at stake for people. And Marta well, Kubishva, rather than submit to doing what the regime would like her to do, just simply opted out. Well, she comes across as a complete badass. Like, I, the yes. stakes are high, <laughs> but I was, she's got this determination. I loved her as a subject. Grace, had you, did you know much about the history that this film is set in? So I, I feel like it's going from 1960 to sort of late or early 90s, or actually till today, doesn't it? Yeah, it, doesn't, even, yeah. it carries up. But yeah, what was your kind of grounding for the magic voice of a rebel? I was like you. I came in like a total novice to Czech history. I've been to the Czech Republic and I've been to Prague, so that helped a bit and I really recognised a lot of those beautiful iconic landmarks. But it was an amazing entry into like that time period where like she was just an icon and I had never mm. seen her or heard her and that voice is just so it was like almost gravelly and really gritty and powerful and I think that was just reminiscent of other political singers you know they mm. seem to have this amazing ability to project and a style that's so unique like she sort of reminded me of like Joan Baez or like Rodriguez mm. the way that her yeah. voice was that kind of not perfect or super clean and shiny, but mm. really powerful. And I couldn't even understand what she was singing. So yeah, isn't that interesting? Because yeah, I so we we were watching this on the streaming service uh, DA Films, and um, they don't have the the songs aren't actually um, transcribed into subtitles. So that was there are bits of um, miscommunication there, I suppose, where you know you'd have to sometimes there's moments where they unpack the lyrics, but often as the viewer you're, you're made unaware of that. Um, but I agree, Grace. Like it's amazing listening to her and just feeling so moved by those songs. And I'm really glad they had so much footage as well. I, I love so much that. footage. <laughs> the archive, the archive yeah. was one of my favorites. I was like. I, 
these music videos and her hair. Can we talk mm. about her hair for a second? <laughs> we sure can. I love that moment where I think it's her daughter asks, yeah. like, oh, is that a wig, mum? And she's like, no, nah, it's just my hair. She's with, like, for the clip. No, it's clip-ins. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, yes, get it. Her yeah, style and just as like well. the makeup and the, yeah. like, I think she says, because uh, obviously the film's all in Czech language, and she says, like, vamp at one point. Yeah. And I was like, yes, that's exactly what it is. It's like that vamp style, very heavy eyeliner, kind of high hair. Yes. And just, oh, man, I was living for it. Yeah, and I love that um, she does refer to, um, you know, listening to Elvis Presley and that kind of that influence coming through. And um, she was part of this trio called the Golden Kids and she was actually yes, given the, the role. Kids. Yeah, and she was given the role as kind of like the older sister, like the dark older sister, that vamp role plays into it. But she's also kind of like the bad girl in that that um, trio as well. Which, but but yeah. I felt she didn't really fit in that group. Like I understood her placement in, in that group, but I was also like you – there was always something off about that dynamic. I couldn't describe it. Like she just wasn't quite at home there or in her power there. Yeah. I think actually something that is so intriguing about the subject of this film, um, Marta is seems, you know, like usually for music documentaries, the person, the artist will talk about, you know, from the womb, they knew that they were going to be some musical performer. Marta doesn't say that. Marta gets into music for work to make money for her family, to make money for herself, to have independence. Um, really her passion, I mean we're talking about music documentaries, but her passion is actually um, justice. And, and animal welfare. Animal welfare, yeah. 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 And that actually is what, and through music she's able to connect with people and she become, her, her, the anthem, um, A Prayer for Marta, becomes this um, this really powerful protest anthem, um, I suppose you could say. And, um, yeah, it's a beautiful, like, that we get such an insight. And I suppose Grace and I are both more outsiders to this and, and don't have as much grounding in it. But the film, it, it's not as though it leads you, it doesn't um, spoon feed you. And I definitely Googled a lot of things on my phone during Much Googling this. was done. <laughs> but it's made me fascinated to know more about this history and particularly how music played such a crucial role in like the revolution and um this period of like you said Cerise like they're really bleak and difficult times for these people and very real like she's imprisoned at times and 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 surveil she's under surveillance just through, silenced as yeah, well yeah constantly mm. she's such a powerful woman yeah yeah and and Totally steadfast. Yeah. You know, not having existential agonies weirdly either, though, about being denied her voice, like yeah. her singing voice, that is, um, which seems so at odds with the quest typically in the West if you're a musician and and, with, and gifted and you, you've got an outlet. You, you, you'd do anything not to let go of that, you know. Mm. It's, so, it's, it's so at odds with, with Western European, let's say, or American ideas of Chasing fame. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And also I love that the film touches upon um, – it is anchored by – even though I think the primary focus of Somarova's film is actually on this p political upheaval and how um, Marta figures as this really 
key uh, personality within the revolution. But the film also um, is anchored by these really tender moments between her and her daughter, who also features in the film, um, and also mentioned like just casually some of her her ex-husbands and what she went through as well for that time. Yeah. Well, one of them was a very significant dissident figure as well. Um, you'd have only pro- His name was Jan Niemitz, and he was one of the key figures of the Czechoslovak New Wave, um, and he... He ended up leaving, you might recall in the film, um, her first husband. He was the one who shot bullets into the oh. apartment. To, <laughs> he was going to spill what out her name. What a wild story. It was he, spill out her name, her initials in, yeah, um, in bullets. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, and it was, yeah, a character. I actually rewound that yeah. bit and I was like, did I read that correctly? <laughs> yeah. Well, he, he was the um, enfant terrible of the new wave and his film's made a lot of trouble for anyone attached to them, especially the party and the guests, which was mm. banned forever. Uh, you know, as, as eventually it re-emerged. Um, but, yeah, he, he moved to Paris and, and Marta just carried on. And, you know, the sadness there wasn't that he'd gone, but was that the child that she was expecting with him um, mm. died. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah. But, she, the, yeah, she kept company that was – that had similar values to her, though. Yeah, Nemitz was also a bit of a loose cannon, mm. so to speak. No, no <laughs> artillery pun intended necessarily. <laughs> yeah, I think um, I think Marta's involvement with the um, is it the Charter seventy seven Manifesto from nineteen seventy seven. Um, you know that obviously led to her being classified by the government as this hostile person and led to all this surveillance and. Um, you know, it's just fascinating kind of tracking that history over, through this documentary. And I think that music documentary is always kind of a fascinating genre in that it is focusing on this one artist, but it's able to draw upon all these social and political um, events and turn it turn it into a story that's very focused. I, I'm just kind of, um, I was really captured by this this um, documentary. And it's one that's a little bit, um, we don't often talk about streaming services, but um, it's not streaming anywhere else other than uh, dafilms.com, is that right? Not that I'm aware yeah. of. Yeah. So it's one that I think a lot of people wouldn't have heard of, so I'm glad that you've drawn our attention to this, Cerise. Um, yeah, I've just, I'm, I've kind of now, similar to um, maybe with Karen Dalton, <laughs> I'm really keen to listen to some more of her music as well. Um, and those videos too, which Nimitz directed, you see those clips in the film, there are yeah. these recitals made for television that really do um, predate the whole vid- music video idea in the West, but sometimes, you know, the East... It just had, was ahead. Yeah, well, that's kind of yeah. your point before, Grace, wasn't it, about the style and the aesthetic that we get through the film? Yeah, and I feel like those those sort of live concerts are having a bit of a renaissance in this COVID world. You know, I feel like we're seeing a lot more reco- like those stylized recordings of a full song or a full album even in a, in a performative way since we can't be actually in person in gigs. And, yeah, I think there's a few... Uh, ones that stand out for uh, for Marta was um, the on that like boat going through the river, and like there's kind of all this mist, and there's one towards the very end where she's like singing with all these doves on her, like yeah, like so many doves, <laughs> and I was just like, I need to go back and revisit this. This is some serious inspiration. Oh, absolutely. But yeah, very very kind of high art, but also. Uh, yeah, just a different style. 
I guess. Yeah, and it's kind of – it's amazing that there is that documentation of her and um, I don't know, I, I just feel like this film is extraordinary and I want more people to see it. And so if you're curious about what we've been talking about, uh, we've been discussing Olga Somanova's, uh, Somarova, sorry's, um 2014 film, The Magic Voice of a Rebel, which what is how does what would be the official title? Do you remember, Therese? Uh Rebelki. There we go. Um it's all about Czech singer and activist Marta Kubisko uh, Kubiskova? Kubishova. Oh, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Almost. Glad glad we got you on board, Therese. <laughs> You're listening to Primal Screen. Triple R on FM Digital Online via the app. Hello, you are on Primal Screen on Triple R. My name is Flick Ford and joining me in the studio is Cerise Howard and Grace Moore. And in case you didn't know, it's still Radiothon here at Triple R. We've got heaps of streamers and um, snacks and lots of beautiful things adorning uh, the studio. And some lovely listeners have decided to take this opportunity to subscribe and you can do that as well on rrr.org. Alrighty, so we're talking all about music docos. Um, we have each picked one uh, to talk about, and Grace's film is up now. We are the different yes, two worlds here. Yeah. The one world is Malanda, and the other world is Yulwa. It's making it easier for the world to understand, and it's making it new. There's an incredible future for him. You are a truly wonderful artist. The possibilities for him are limitless. So that was a little clip of Paul Damien Williams' 2018 film Grimmel, which you selected, Grace. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about, um, I suppose firstly for listeners who don't know Gurumal, which I'd be surprised if there's people who aren't familiar, but just in case, um, yeah, can you introduce everyone to the artist? Yeah, so uh, Gurumul is a Yonu singer. His full name is Jeffrey Gurumul Yunapingu. And the film really follows him throughout 10 years of his illustrious career as a core member of the Yothu Yindi and Saltwater Bands. And it also follows his evolution as a solo artist, uh, supported by longtime producer and friend Michael Honan. Uh, yeah, so Gurumul was an amazing person. He he has unfortunately passed away now, but um, the Gumach and Galpu clan leaders made a very rare exception to have this film shown to the public and that's also one of the reasons why we can talk about it tonight, which is pretty cool and we definitely pay our deep respects to them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I know that the, when uh, it was screened as part of MIF, they did have that same announcement because it was so soon after his passing, yeah. Yeah, I think the film, it's just an absolute triumph, really. I think uh, the director, Paul Damien Williams, he really is able to uh, preface that idea, the film exploring the deep divide between the Balanda, the whitefellow world, and the Yongnyu, which is the blackfellow world. And he sort of juxtaposes throughout the film like this world of celebrity and media and the music industry and this just complete uh, vast divide to the world of, you know, spirituality, ceremony and song lines. And I think there's some really beautiful and special uh, 
scenes in the film, the sacred ceremony in Northeast Arnhem Land on, on Elko Island. I think, like, I mean, props to the filmmakers. That's incredible access to even yeah. get to Arnhem Land. And then to be able to film is just, I mean, I, you don't often feel super privileged to be able to see something on a screen. But yeah. I just was, you know, sitting in my living room like, wow, like who who would get to see this? You know, mm. it's an incredible service that they've done, I think, for yeah. Australian film there. Absolutely. And, and that idea of, of film being able to transport us somewhere and so often I think as white Australians, you know, often we don't know a lot about that and it's kind of obviously through like the erasure of that history and that culture in, in media and, and education. But this film, yeah, you're right, it has this amazing access there. Yeah, and I think um, one of the key themes of the film is Gudemul's beautiful relationship with his friend and producer Michael Honan, yes. who is a white Australian and uh, often Michael finds himself having to speak uh, for Gudemul, who's blind and he doesn't really like to speak in public. So Michael does a lot of talking for him. And this awkwardness and the tension of that is really palpable throughout the film. You know, Michael's not comfortable speaking for him often, Mm. but sort of recognises and comes to terms with the fact that it's a role and it's a relationship that is, you know, they are still working together. And I think that that... um, that relationship was a really interesting theme to explore and kind of unexpected, I suppose. Did you guys enjoy that? Yeah. Part of the film? Absolutely. This is actually, I suppose I should just flag, this is actually a film that we did cover when it came out in 2018. Um, So we are kind of revisiting it, but I was so, uh, this is one of my favourite documentaries. So I was just like, I was pretty, um, I just feel like it needs, you know, it couldn't do, couldn't hurt to have more more, um, people tuning in and watching this. Um, Cerise, did you want to? Sure. It's a a tremendous documentary. Mm. And and again, yeah, not my first time, but I had that same sense again of what a privilege to be a witness to mm. a ceremony on country that um, I've never been to, may never go to, and, and and wouldn't be so presumptuous as to think I would automatically be welcome there ordinarily either. You know, it's um, amazing. Um, mm. And uh, Gorowal is such a, a fascinating character. He's There is such humour there. At, at times, yes, he, he he definitely doesn't wish to to be vocal. I mean, there's an excruciating scene at the very beginning of the film, which is, I think it's uh, labelled his first ever interview in the media or something like that. It's an, I think an ABC interview, and and he's silent, and the the interviewer is just <laughs> just oh, it's so cringy. She's <laughs> trying to. It's it, terrible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Try to elicit something from him. She's, she's got no idea how to, to go about drawing anything from him and I don't think he had any intention of no, cooperating there anyway. There is a wonderful stubbornness. Yeah. Well, silence is such a theme of this film. Like yeah. even though his voice is just incredible and, and so um, powerful, it's also the silence of yes. the film that really, and I think they do a really good job in the beginning For me, this film, the beginning is just, it's bang on. Like it's so good. Yeah. The extended kind of black screen with just the 
diegetic sound is so well done and it, it could be seen as like a really obvious, uh, I guess, screen interpretation of, of Gurumul's blindness. But I think more than that, it sort of primes the audience to listen. It's, yes. It sort of flags at the very beginning of the film, this is what we're here to do. And I really enjoyed that they repeated that throughout the film. And I think we go from blackness into that incredibly awkward interview. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the the tension is just palpable. But I think it was like a like a humorous comment at like our awkward, we have such an awkward relationship with our own history. And I feel like the film did a good job of unpacking that a little bit. And, yeah, certainly that opening scene was... <laughs> An excellent example of yeah. how, how not to interview somebody. Actually, my, my personal favourite is the um, moment with Sting as well. I feel like that silence yes. or, the, or the pause between um, question and response perhaps is a better way to phrase it, but that returns again. Um, and I, I love that because I feel like that then taps into this idea of celebrity and kind of similar to what you were saying before, Cerise, about um, the magic, in the magic voice of um, a rebel where Marta also does has that almost like anti-celebrity to her. And Gurumul has that as well because I feel like his main responsibility is to his family and is to his community. And that understanding of duty, I think is actually at the core of this film. And we assume it should be, oh, but you want to go to a, the US, right? Like that should be yeah. <laughs> that should be success for you. And and success for him is, yes, I will do those things because I love to sing. But it's not the it's not the goal. Imagine just the sweet oblivion <laughs> of never having known who Sting was. Just imagine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but the the tension of that scene is mm. so well done because obviously Gurumul figures it out very quickly and just absolutely nails the performance. Yeah, and it's just this incredible sort of moment of. Everybody f- literally freaking out. Yeah, and it- and him just <laughs> kind of taking it all, taking it all in, listening well, and figuring it out. Mm. It's also a case study in translation because we don't have. You said before about the two men, how um, uh, Michael is that his friend's name? I've just yeah, Michael. Yeah, Hone. Michael. Yeah. So Michael acts as this voice for Gurumul in certain scenes. And he, like you said, Grace, like it's not as though it, there's a reluctance there because he understands that there's a lot that's not getting captured in being the voice. And also part of it is a, a staying true to Gurumul's intentions and what he wants to do. So um, Michael is kind of caught there somewhat. But there's the translation as well in that in that scene with Sting in which they he is trying to bring um, to, you know, basically translate it into his language. And I think it's a beautiful study and no, because it's not language is never just words. It's actually so much more than that. Well, you see that. Suggestions mm. there that there are sentiments in that song, which is actually a bit of a creepy song. Um, <laughs> totally. There are sentiments that don't necessarily translate anyway. Um, and and as someone mentions at some point in the film that actually English was Gurumul's third or fourth yeah, language. Yeah, yeah. So... Uh, yeah, which is something people here might you know, the, we white folk might like to be a little more mindful of. Generally, is that um, there are a lot of uh, Aboriginal folk out there who um, you know, speak multiple tongues, often yes. more than we do. <laughs> but, yes, that is often the case. I um I had the uh, pleasure of being able to 
uh, I suppose the word would be visit um, uh, Arnhem Land um, briefly earlier this year. Um, y- y- there was obviously a lot of restrictions because of um, lockdown and, and trying to protect um, Aboriginal communities. So it was just like a, um, a guide into, into Arnhem Land. And it's just like, it's so massive and there is so many, so much diversity there. And kind of what you were saying before, Grace, about the access that we get through um, William's documentary is astounding and it's also I think it's presented in such a way and I think you used this word before Cerise of paying witness to to mm. this and bearing we are witness, bearing yeah. witness yeah well it's not it's not a, a colonial gaze as mm. such you know I don't, I don't feel this is an ethnographic no uh, documentary it's uh it's it's level and grounded and and respectful and yeah. um yeah that that comes across in a way that I don't know that I can necessarily quite put my finger on how I feel that, but I, yeah. yeah, it doesn't feel exploitative. No, it doesn't. And it, I think that that can often, particularly when you're trying to convey so much, and often with a music documentary where you've got one subject as this focus and then you're talking about something that is, um, you know, culture that's 60 million years old, it's really hard to bring in that depth and complexity. But I think the film, it touches upon it in those scenes that you were mentioning, Grace, about how they're using this performance space, how they're using silence in a music documentary. Like there's lots of um, really poetic scenes in this film and I think it's exceptional. Um, So if you're um, interested in seeing uh, Paul Damien Williams' film Gurumul, it's actually on Beamer Film, which, you know, we're talking a lot about streaming platforms tonight, but Beamer Film's an excellent one. If you're, um, you know, a member of your local library, you can actually log on and have an account with Beamer Film. So you could watch that for free through your library. Um, Also, you can rent or buy it on Google Play, Apple TV and YouTube. You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R. Independently yours, Triple R. 102.7. Hello, you are on Primal Screen. My name is Flick Ford and I have Cerise Howard and Grace Moore joining me tonight for our music documentary special. One day I was coming home from school and all my neighbours were stood in like a line passing all this stuff out of our house and I was like, look, you can keep everything. I know you did it because I saw you, but can I have my radio back? And they were like, no. And um, so that night I went to sleep without headphones and without pop music. And then I heard the bass line come from the other neighbour's house, which was... You know, he was listening to hip-hop and it was like the first time I heard Public Enemy. And That was indeed M.I.A. telling us a wonderful anecdote about a stolen radio and that's how she got onto Public Enemy. Um, this was my pick for the week. This is Stephen Loveridge's 2018 film called Matangi Maya M.I.A. Um, Look, I uh, I love this film. I um, I feel like we're, we're just talking off air. Cerisi was talking about the fact that all of the films that we've talked about, so Gurumul from two, 2018 as well, who was picked by Grace, and we opened with um, The Magic Voice of a Rebel, from a Czechoslovakian film from 2014. And it's weird that these are films that are set across, so for um, MIA's doco, Sri Lanka to London, we've got Arnhem Land from Gurumul just before the break, and we've also um, gone to Czechoslovakia. It's It's been a it, – they're so disparate in some ways, and yet I feel like there's a real theme of um, – 
Rebel Voices. Um, MIA is amazing. I was obsessed with her as a teenager and I actually, I was trying to, it, this documentary really helped me work out where, uh, I suppose I was actually initially into punk and I was thinking MIA seemed like a bit of a um, move away, a shift in my musical taste. But watching this documentary, this this film is made by uh, Stephen Loveridge who went to art school with um, Maya, uh, MIA, um, and you get a sense of actually the punk beginnings of her as an artist and also the way in which she shifted through the genres. And she's got this um, wonderful part where she talks about um, how trying to place her music. And um, I've heard her talk about this before and she found that um, as a Sri Lanka, a Tamil woman, she they often like producing her music in London. It was often just classified as world music, um, which is uh, just an offensive catch-all for anyone who's... <laughs> isn't white um yeah or the, or the kind of say maybe it's hip-hop or you know and it kind of undercuts the complexity of her music it's amazingly hybrid there is a lot of influences and I think this documentary by Loveridge really gives us a wonderful insight um we're talking talking earlier today about found footage in documentary and this is an a wonderful example of it. There is so much footage, like really early footage from her time in Sri Lanka. Um, Her father is one of the founders of the Tamil resistance movement and I think that this really plays a a central role in the documentary. So we have um, a lot of background on what was happening and a lot of the civil unrest that was happening during the um, 80s and 90s. And, you know, as... MIA uh, becomes a bigger star in the UK and then ultimately tours the US. She does draw attention, like repeatedly tries to draw attention to what's happening there um, and she gets silenced continually. Um, it's – look, Cerise, what did, you, what did you think of this doco? I actually hadn't seen this before. Mm. You know, I, um, I kicked myself some years back for missing it and just let it pass by and I was so grateful for an opportunity to, to watch it. It's fantastic. Mm. And it's how interesting that your pick is not just a great music doco, but it's actually a doco on a great musician who wanted to be a documentary filmmaker. <laughs> yeah. Super apt. Yeah. Um, Meta. <laughs> and hence, yeah, all that great archival footage. Mm. Um, of uh, And that, that, that really helps give a sense of where she's come from and where she's drawn to return to and keep mm. connected to and and um, and the activism that she inherited from her largely absent father, you know, in yeah, her life. Yeah. Largely absent. Um, but that that activism is fierce in her, no less than, than her father, I'm sure. And that she knows she has a platform, um, that she's offered some extraordinary uh, platforms to to get the message across that appalling things are happening to her people in Sri Lanka. Yeah. Um, Something shocking. I think the statistic that she quotes is um, when she goes back home to visit her family, two of the six boys mm. in her family are dead. And yep. it's just, I think that, and there's a wonderful anecdote where she talks about getting on the bus with her mother and um, just the sexual harassment that she mm. suffers on, on that bus. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's super sobering. Um, yeah. And and while she uh, you know, assumes this sort of megastar status, she she never loses her connection with her roots. She's, she's you know, we have that interesting friendship she has with uh, Justine uh, from Elastica. What's oh, her yes. surname? And um, I've written it down because I I used to be really into Elastica as well. <laughs> yeah, Are you, um, Fleischman, Fishman, Fleischman. 
There we um, go. Yeah. Um, and and the the the, diff, the the yeah their friendship is tight, but you get the sense that they're from such different worlds, yes. and that does come to a bit of a head. That yeah. One is is privileged and white and lives in a I, fancy part of yeah. London, and and that I actually yeah. I thought a lot about that for why I think about like a lot of the punk musicians I was into, punk bands I was into when I was a teenager, all very white, and I couldn't help but think that that was something that was happening at that time where. Um, women of colour, people of colour in general, yeah. but women of colour, especially in the punk scene, didn't always have a platform or a space. Yeah. Well, we um, on this show during the MIF uh, program, we looked at the documentary on um, polystyrene, mm, yeah. which uh, ties in well with this is uh, this too. Um, but yeah, look, uh, just to, to stick with with MIA though, I mean, this this doco is is fabulous. Uh, I learned a hell of a lot about her because I'd never been fully invested in her because I hadn't gone deep, and it's only by degrees in recent years where I'd, I'd only saw that Born Free video for the first time a couple of years ago, and it blew me away. Yeah, isn't it mar- remarkable? Um, <laughs> oh, extraordinary! And um, and yeah, directed by Ro- uh, Roman Gavras. Um, and uh, yeah, the the rounding up the gingers. Uh. <laughs> well, it caused so much controversy. I mm. remember it at the time as well. Grace, I'm not sure. Like, were you already familiar? Were you already a fan of MIA? Yeah, so I was like you. MIA. This film was so nostalgic for me because <laughs> I feel like I discovered her music when I was like 13 or 14 years yeah. old. Like trying to find my own music tastes, and so this was like fangirl in the documentary <laughs> for me and I, I think the fact that it's like sort of cut like a giant music video yeah. in parts as well is so satisfying like it really is going back um the yeah obviously the born free clip was so controversial and so extreme I think um and even like sun showers is a favorite song of hers is a favorite song of mine and you know, that was shot like in India, in the jungle, like incredibly lo-fi and mm. no frills in terms of like equipment and gear. But I feel like the theme with all the music videos is that she just goes hard with every idea. You know, like yes. she doesn't leave any stone unturned. Yeah. She's so and fierce. I respect that so much. Yeah. Like the the um bad girls. Yes. The bad girls videos, insane, like cars on two wheels and yeah. like e- eagles <laughs> and rearing horses in the desert. I'm like it's it's everything. Absolutely. And I love that her politics is there. Like she's not and she makes this point when she gets called up about um you know flipping the bird at the Super Bowl and you know conservative conservative America kind of, well, basically the Super Bowl officials come out and say, you know, we're offended, but apparently only like 200 people actually complained about it. It's that whole thing of like when you see a woman like um, MIA come up against conservative white America and I think that that was what it was really about and I love that it came, it yeah. kind of coincided with the release of, of her track. I realise we're running out of time so I better um, – <laughs> We should probably wrap this up. I'm, I'm so glad you both enjoyed um, my pick as well. Um, that was Matangi um, Maya MIA by Stephen Loveridge from 2018, which I highly recommend you check out. Triple. You've been listening to Primal Screen on Triple R with Flick Ford, Cerise Howard and our special guest, Grace Moore. 
It has been a music documentary extravaganza. We started the show with the magic voice of a rebel, Olga Samarova. Um, that is uh, all about... Um, Mars Kubishova. Ma- thank you. <laughs> I actually just started to look down at my phonetically spell and I was like, oh dear. Um, <laughs> thank you, Cerise. Um, that is an amazing film that is currently available on only on dafilms.com. So, um, you might be able to stream it for free if you sign up. Did you? Yes, uh, I yeah. did. Nice. Yes, I did. Mm. Yeah. I, um, I think that's the thing is I, I wanted to kind of make a special mention to check out their selection because there's so many films that we miss out on and only can see usually at festivals. So um, the magic... Magic Voice of a Rebel from 2014. Definitely check that out. Then we went on to Paul Damien Williams' Gurumul um, from 2018, which is on Beamer Film, and you can rent or buy it on Google Play, Apple TV, and YouTube. And finally, just then, we talked about Matangi Maya, M-I-A, Stephen Loveridge's 2018 film, which is on Doc Play and Stan, or you can rent or buy it on Google Play, Apple TV, or YouTube. Um, so, uh, thank you to Cerise and Grace for joining me. If you'd like to, you know, we mentioned at the start of the show, um, if you would like to subscribe, it is still Radiothon, so get on to rrr.org.au. Uh, next week, I'll be joined by Lisa Kovacevic and a very special guest um, to talk all about uh, Screen Queens uh, on streaming services. Thanks for listening to Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. 